everyone, and welcome to the Tightwad Teacher Podcast, brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. And now, here are your hosts, Sean Keibel and John Mikulski. Welcome to the Tightwad Teacher. This is episode 11, Linux in the Classroom, for September 20th, 2011. Uh, as always, this is Sean Keibel, and I'm joined by my co-host, John Mikulski. Say hey, John. Hello, everyone. How you doing? All right. Uh, so we, we've got an early, early rise today, right? We're, we're talking to somebody from Australia. Is that right? Yeah, and Australia is 14 hours uh, ahead of us. So, um, Sean, that means a 5 a.m. start for you and a 6 a.m. for me. It, it's uh, an early morning. Right, right. Yeah, and I, I do that without benefit of coffee. I'm not a coffee drinker. So. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, amazingly, though, uh, it, I guess this morning was just one of those uh, odd mornings, and I have them from time to time. But, you know, the alarm went off, and uh, I set the alarm for 4 o'clock, and uh, I was ready to get up then. Uh, so I was really happy because I was kind of hoping, you know, I kind of thought that maybe I'd come on the air and sound tired. And uh, hopefully I don't. I don't know. And I, you know, I, I know we, we did another one early uh, when we spoke with uh, Anna Campos from, from Post Crossing. Right. And afterward, I went upstairs and I was talking to my wife because she had just woken up. And I thought I have that real gruff, like radio personality voice from, from being up so early. <laughs> so hopefully that's not the same case uh, for this episode. Yeah, right. No, you sound good. You sound good. I, yeah, think, good. I think we're going to pull this through. Uh, yeah. So, uh, OK, well, I don't I guess I'm going to start because I know you have something unique for the warm-up but i I, I have a yeah i have a a surprise for everybody so you go ahead first (laughs) well i mine was a surprise to me i guess is the best way to relay relay this um so I'm, I'm not a, a full-time teacher and I'm a full-time tech guy and uh, my district calls on me to teach some technology uh, from time to time. They did uh, last year. I taught three periods uh, at the middle school and about, uh, well, all through the summer, the middle school principal was tugging my ear as to whether I would uh, teach for him again. And I said, well, uh, yeah, you know, uh, I'd love to do it, but I was also looking for a job a little closer to where I live. So I told him, you know, that's if I'm here, I'm not even sure that I'm going to be here. And I I didn't want to, like, make some sort of commitment and then leave him high and dry. Right. So uh, up to uh, the last time we talked about it was probably about three, four weeks before school started. And uh, he asked if I was uh, still interested and if I'd still do it, if I was uh, still here. And I said, yeah, sure. And uh, I said, but, you know, let me know. And he said, yeah, well, I'll, I'll get back with you on that. And I didn't hear anything from him. And so uh, the weeks were ticking by, and I'm, I'm busy with trying to get all the computer systems ready for the new school year. And uh, probably like the week before school started, I kind of thought about it. And I thought, well, you know, he never got back with me on that. I guess he must have come up with something else. And uh, so sure enough, you know, all the days of that last week go by and uh, then Monday hits. Right. And we've got students just, uh, you know, uh, descend on our network. And I've got my hands full just trying to make sure that everything's working the way it should. And uh, right about 1030 uh, Monday morning, the first day of school, he sends me a text (laughs) i know where this is going (laughs) and he says by the way can you uh still teach that class for me (laughs) and uh you know my i about dropped my phone i couldn't believe it 
And uh, so uh, now this this year, he's he's only asking for uh, one period a day, and this is a 50-minute period. So it's not exactly a, a huge time commitment by any means. But uh, but still, you know, that first day in like three hours before the class starts, and it's, uh, oh, yeah, can you teach that? So uh, being the, uh, the good guy that I am, of course, I said yes. And uh, uh, so then I'm thinking... Okay, immediately, where's your mind go, right? Okay, what am I going to do? Uh, yeah. Right? Like, you know, what am my, I going to do? Mine goes to what What 50-minute video can I show to buy myself <laughs> right. a day? <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, right? I mean, you're almost in a situation where you're kind of like, you know, I at least need like a good solid week, you know, to two weeks maybe to really try to plan something out and put, you know, together some lesson plans and some projects and things like that. And, uh, and then I thought, well, okay, no need to rebuild the week. I'll just do what I did last year. You know, I've got all of my material from last year and I can just replicate that and do it again. So, uh, so that was the plan, right? Or at least to get me, you know, by me maybe the first month until I could really uh, try to think of some uh, neat new things to do. And uh, until I walk into the class, so I walk into my classroom and I look and uh, roughly about two thirds of the students in my class I had last year. Oh, so there goes your plan. (laughs) And John, I think it's similar for you, right? Your your students go on a cycle, so they stay with you a few years. Is that right? Yeah, I'm going to be having the same kids. And well, I had them as seventh graders last year, but I have them now as eighth grade. And yeah, there's there's advantage to that, but there's definite disadvantage too. Because by the end of eighth grade, they know every one of my tricks. They know every (laughs) joke. They they're so burned out on me. So yeah, I I know exactly what you're going to be going through this year. Yeah. So you know, for for now, uh, you know, I've got them uh, helping me do some hands-on stuff with the computers, and that's that's fine. But uh, you know, that's not going to last very long. So yeah, I'm I'm really uh, trying to uh, put some stuff together really quickly as far as some projects. I like to do project based stuff. I think when you can give them a, with technology at least when you can give them a, a, a huge a, a large overall project that maybe draws on several different technologies, and then you can work on teaching them those different technologies as you go. Um, I like to work that way, and it seems to work really well. Oh, and you're going to have another chance to, to try all over again this year. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I feel like a rookie all over again. <laughs> so, all right, John, you, you've, you've got my uh, attention. I am eagerly awaiting your warm-up item. So uh, what do you got for all me? All right. Well, if you, you have to think back for a minute, this is my my hook to get people to listen to previous episodes. Episode four, we had Bill Chamberlain on, and, yes. and if you remember, I don't know if you remember uh, Sean, but in the show notes, um, under his personal information, he made sure um, to note that he was learning the ukulele. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, and, yeah. And and I mentioned just in passing uh, that there's an <laughs> instrument that I always wanted to learn how to play. Do you remember what that instrument was? Oh geez, let me see. Uh... And, and my wife told me I wasn't allowed to. <laughs> oh, no. I, I, I got to get it. Hold on a second, Sean. So we're on a, for people can't see us, but we're on, we're on, we're on Google plus right now. So, uh, so Sean can see my brand new accordion. Oh no. <laughs> I got an accordion <laughs> and, and my first, uh, my first live performance can be right now on, uh, the, the tightwad <laughs> teacher. 
don't well, don't tempt me to write our own bump music because I will. But well, yeah, now while you're here's... getting set up, I have to describe this thing because it's red oh. and it looks like maybe red and black. Uh, with... It is the ugliest thing. It, I, I bought it on Craigslist. It was some some guy's mom's, and she passed away, and he sold it, and, uh, <laughs> and it's it still. I actually, I kind of learned how to play a little bit. Uh, awesome. Wow. <laughs> so, here, there you go. So that's, uh, th- this is <laughs> also, I'm in the basement right now, which is where my wife told me the, the accordion must stay. <laughs> it's not a lot upstairs. <laughs> so I'm guessing, uh, yeah, she's not uh, impressed by accordion prowess, huh? Uh, no, no. She she said, uh, yeah, she, that's what I actually brought it in. And she said, all right, let's see it. And I, I took it out of the case and she said, so that's supposed to make me more attracted to you. And I said, nope, <laughs> nope, that wasn't the purpose of yeah. it. <laughs> that's the beauty of being married. <laughs> I have reached a new uh, a new level of nerd now because I'm, I couldn't be more excited about my, my accordion. <laughs> oh, that is great. Yeah, now you just have to go out and find the, uh, what I guess, the German beer band or whatever to join. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, a great side uh, side job on the weekends, I guess. <laughs> that is great. I am so. glad that we did the the uh, Google Hangout this show. Then yeah. <laughs> uh, seeing it, I, I'm sorry, listeners, you didn't get a chance to see that, but seeing it was even better than hearing it. It, so. it is. It's a great little little instrument there. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, with that said, and wow, how's that for a wake up, right? I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone's upstairs right now, going, "What the hell is he doing down there?" Right. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm uh, I now. We'll try to uh, compose my straight face for our guest. He's going to wonder what <laughs> what we were up to. Uh, we're going to go ahead and bring on Mr. Stuart Rushton, and uh, he is in Sydney, Australia, and we'll have him uh, explain more about himself here in just a second, but. Uh, let's go ahead and bring Stuart on. All right, and we're joined today by our guest, Stuart Rushton. Uh, I'm just going to lead right into uh, into the interview, Stuart. If you'll just uh, introduce yourself to our listeners and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, hi, thanks. Yes, uh, name is Stuart Rushton, as you've announced, and I've been working for uh, 25 years in a small school near Sydney. And for the last 10 years or so, we've been gradually introducing more and more um, Unix-based open source uh, software for our education network to the point now that we're basically 100%, almost 100% um, Linux and other Unix-based um, systems for our desktops and servers right through, including uh, mail, mail server using Zimbra server and Okawa library information system. And, uh, yeah, so it's working really well. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, John. I, I remember uh, a couple years ago talking to the, the IT guy, uh, actually the tech integrator in my building, and it was just when I first started to discover things like um, Linux. I, I run Ubuntu at home and uh, an open source, uh, like open office, that kind of thing. And I remember saying to the tech integrator, you know, why aren't we using these things in school? And he just kind of looked at me incredulously and said, because schools like to spend a lot of money on stupid things. And I thought that that's kind of accurate anyway, anyway, what, what I've seen. So that's why I really liked um, your story, Stuart, um, what you're doing at your school. And, uh, and that's why I wanted you on the show today. So tell us a little bit first about your school, because I think a lot of people who are listening um, are going to dismiss it right away and say, oh, that'll never work in my school. This must be some special 
um, situation they're they're in or something. So tell us a little bit about your school, just so that we can get a sense of um, not only how you were able to do this, but how it's been able to be sustained over the course of ten years or so now um, to be successful. Yes. Well, uh, as as a um, well as in America, what you would call a Waldorf school, we say Steiner school in Australia. Um, it, it is it is a a special environment educationally, but a lot of the things that we have discovered, I think, would work really well in any system. The larger, the biggest problem is always um, moving moving people. The social engineering of any space, like when you change even within a, a proprietary software, you got, you will have problems, and even more so when you go to something quite unknown. Um, but our school has a really strong emphasis on on ethics and uh, and just just. Uh, being concerned about commercial exploitation and other forms of um, uh, inappropriate sort of attitudes towards education. We want our students to be free thinkers and the open source community really fits in nicely with that. So that was, that was a really big plus for us. But, and then you add to the other benefits such as uh, the licensing issues and, and the stability issues and so on. It, it was a, in a sense a bit of a no-brainer. However... I can see how it would be a big challenge, especially for a school that's got a well-established IT system. We we had a small uh, administrative uh, administration. Had a, we had a small uh, Mac, uh, Apple Mac network, which really is still there because I I couldn't change. I can't change everything. So we're working gra- gradually, but we did build what is now quite a substantial education network, including some uh, online. You'd say like a, a, a small cloud experience for the high school students and teachers. Um, and it's working really well. I mean, I can't, I can't see it going anywhere other than more. Now, do you have a, uh, a technology budget there? Has this freed up funds to uh, maybe purchase more hardware? Yeah, well, um, if I go back to the, the beginning, say about nine, uh, 2001, we had a, uh, we had a, a dozen um, jelly bean uh, max if you know what I mean, the, the brightly coloured ones right. that were used uh, by our high school students, and we had them in a room, and uh, they it worked quite well as an experience. But it was coming to the end of its time, and um, we were about to we wanted, we said, well, we need to find some money or to find some way of upgrading this, um, and it was this, the high school students in the senior years, which would be the seventeen year old students, that suggested some of them suggested we try Linux. So it was really something that came from the students. And what we did was we scoured around and got a whole lot of second-hand um, uh, Intel computers. And myself and the students, we actually built a lab with 30 computers for almost no cost um, to replace the, the old uh, aging Apples, uh, Macs. Um, and so that was the start of it. So we actually we, we started with almost nothing. We, we also had this um, idea that we wanted to make whatever the high school students were using replicate... A, a, a sort of vocational space. In other words, like if you're working in a company, there would be a network, there would be a whole lot of infrastructure. It wouldn't just be computers plugged into PowerPoints. And so we actually built that around some very old server material, server equipment, and we actually got, um, yeah, we got quite a nice uh, network experience for the students for almost no cost. That was the beginning. But from then on, uh, we were very fortunate in, in Australia that the government has been putting a lot of money into what they call the digital education revolution, which has amounted to around $2,000 Australian, which is about the same US, per student 
between the ages of 14 and 18. Uh, so I think it's very well targeted at the upper end, which um, is, is from Steiner's point of view, we're very interested in technology for the senior students, but we have a different view for little kids uh, than general education. Um, yeah, so, so with that money, we were able to uh, upgrade to uh, faster and, and, and better hardware and, and uh, a visual experience having good uh, LCD screens and so on. So over the last five years, We've been spending this rollout of government grants to the point now that our original, the framework we built around this experience of the high school students being on a network, um, which was already in place with the wiring and everything, just got upgraded with brand new material, brand new hardware, complements of the Australian government. Very uh, nice. And and your uh, your experience, Stuart. Let me just ask you real quick. Were you familiar already with Linux-based operating systems? Like, was that uh, something that you were comfortable with, or did you kind of learn it along with everybody else? Well, as I I mentioned uh, in in a a briefing note that I sent in before this interview, that I I, I had been teaching for uh, 25, teaching and administering schools for 25 years, and my area is mathematics and physics. Um, My computing experience up up until 2001, apart from just having the, the, you know, a personal computer, was on uh, on card-reading computers back in the 1970s where I, I did a fair bit of work, but I hadn't done anything in between because I'd had a career uh, in the Australian Air Force as a pilot. I hadn't really worked with computers. So, no, I didn't have that. That wasn't my background, but I consider myself, in a sense, uh, because I think a lot about these things as strategists in the sense of education and IT. And I gathered very easily together um, a bunch of parents and people around the school who had... You know, years of experience on Unix and various other things, and, and they were very happy to get fully engaged um, in like in, in what we could actually do. This wonderful software that was appearing. So when the students introduced me to the idea of Linux, that was the first I'd actually heard of it, and, uh, and I, I haven't stopped researching it and getting excited about it since. Well, and that's really cool because I think lots of times ideas like this, when you're looking school wide. Um, administrators and, and whoever would be in charge of those initiatives, if it's not something they're completely comfortable with, it, it tends to get shot down. So I think that's that's pretty great that rather than do that, you kind of went with it. But can you talk a little bit now about the teachers and students as well? As well, what was their learning curve like? What did they see in this once you started getting um, these new device or these new operating systems and, and new open source software in the schools? Yes, I, th- I think um, we're in a in a quite a good position because, as I mentioned earlier, we were really coming from almost nothing from an educational point of view. Excuse me. Um, administratively, we've been working with a small database using Apple, and the, the staff, the, the admin staff, and the senior teachers knew how to deal with that. But in terms of educationally, we didn't have much of an experience support apart from the dozen Jelly Bean Macs that were, uh, were networked, but not getting really beyond anything we could do. Uh, effectively. So what we did, when we started with the Linux and got the network going, that was almost like the first experience our staff had of actually working in that environment with kids. So and it, there, were, there were a few you know, little hiccups and getting things sorted out, but everyone just rode along with it because it was like an exciting time. Now, you, if, I could, if I imagine what it would have been like to be in a school that had a well-established um, computer network and, you know, and, and experienced people running it and managing it, it would have been a totally different story. So we were starting from scratch. Um, and, and we've had all those discussions about, you know, what, 
buy this instead of uh, uh, Windows or Mac and uh, the pros and cons. But basically people, uh, the staff and, and the kids, are fine with the fact that we're doing something that's innovative. And when you, when you actually discuss with people the idea that, that this whole world of uh, Linux and embedded Linux or Unix generally and GNU stuff is like so pervasive, it's everywhere. Like you can't, tr- you can't get a packet through from the internet without it going through a whole lot of Linux machines. Like it's everywhere. So really, to learn about it is really quite fundamental. And one of the things I mentioned to the kids when they say, "Well, you might get the odd comment of a new student for the school. Why, why aren't we using Windows?" And I'll, I'll say it's a little bit flippant, but I would say, "Well, do you know much about Windows?" Yes, I know lots about Windows. I said, "Well, isn't my job as a teacher to show you something you don't already know?" And uh, you know, so that <laughs> it's a little bit. Um, well, anyway, it's not maybe not quite the appropriate thing to say, but it's, it's <laughs> get that. But it's really quite they're doing something that affects their lives, and it's and it's, it's interesting. Yeah, well, and you you brought up a really good point too. It's not really about the operating system anymore. Um, you know, especially with so much being on the cloud now, everything is uh, web based. It really doesn't matter whether you're on a Mac or a Linux machine or a Windows machine because you're really operating in the cloud now. So. I think that's another good argument for going uh, this route because it's not about what the machine is that you're on anymore. Yes, yeah, yeah. So we, we like we we take uh, one of the things that I've I've been working with other other small schools that have a similar philosophy to us about about how do you actually get going with the technology, and the the biggest thing really for me for uh, to all of them is to really spend a little bit of time strategizing, find really thinking about what it is you want to, you want to do because if the the, the the thing about modern technology, it sort of almost it, it demands that you unpack it, plug it in, and start using it. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like it's it, it doesn't want to be thought about for too long. You just get into it. But from a school point of view, you really because you're going to integrate it into your curriculum, do a whole lot of things. That's something that often is missing. Schools suddenly find they've got a whole ton of computers, a whole lot of software. Nobody really has thought about how does that fit in. And uh, so I, I I put a lot of effort in that philosophical, strategic. Positioning before you actually start spending dollars. Now, uh, Stuart, I want to jump in here, and uh, first, I want to let our listeners know that uh, you've been doing this for uh, what over eight years now at your school district. Uh, Two thousand and two. So, yeah, it's uh, nine years. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, uh, so one, this has been in place for uh, some time now. So, uh, I guess we've had some time to have things prove themselves out, and I think that's what a lot of people would uh, be asking in their mind. You know, yeah, you can pilot something like that for a little while, but will it really work over time? And I think uh, that's already proven itself out. Uh, but another argument that people might make, uh, and this argument I think has faded a little bit with what uh, John said. You know, with things moving to the cloud more and more, but uh, Oftentimes when the Linux question has come up in education, uh, the argument is that that somehow uh, makes students less competitive. And, you know, we talked about uh, students knowing how to operate in Windows and uh, how so often they go out into the business world or whatever, and they're going going to be faced with uh, Windows machines and using Microsoft uh, operating systems and, and tools and things like that. Uh, have you seen, you've had some time to see students uh, come and go and go off into uh, the real world. Uh, have you seen that how that's held them back at all you know starting up on these linux uh, systems and moving out into the real world real world uh, no, there are, there are, not really not at all but i, I could uh, i can uh, expand on that a little bit uh, but there are a couple of ish, uh, uh, parts to it first of all that nearly all students today 
uh, unless they come from like a background where they, you know, they really need some sort of support. But generally, kids got a lot of experience with Windows. I mean, it's, it's just so everywhere, and so it's not something that they're going to be missing anyway. For most kids in our environment, anyway. Um, but but more than that, it's the, the fact that they've actually um, stretched their thinking a little bit. That they're they're looking more at what a computer does rather than the specific set of buttons that one company thinks people should use in a certain way. So we would say that most of our kids are quite familiar with Apple from our own school and, and Windows from their lives generally, and but but they're very familiar with with their way around a lot of uh, Linux systems and open source, and I think that's that's only a plus. They they see that. We also have a number of students who. Uh, you know, that go into IT and do very well in IT and uh, finish, you know, degrees and double degrees, whatever, in in, uh, in computer engineering and all sorts of areas. And they, I mean, they did their schooling using Linux. So these are the most recent graduates. And we were right at the beginning. Um, yeah, well, one, one thing I yes, like to I think... One, oh yeah, one thing I like to think about uh, when it comes to that is that it kind of opens their eyes to, uh, you know, there's a lot more to this whole computing world than what they've been presented. Uh, so, uh, you know, having the opportunity to look at and use uh, Linux operating system, one, it's amazing how little there is to learn moving from one to another, but it also shows them that, you know, there's there's a lot more to the computing world than what they've been presented so far. Uh, and yeah. I, I think it's such an important thing for them to see. And certainly when you see students jump onto uh, Linux, uh, you see that you see that kind of light bulb go on and you see them uh, really start to get interested in, uh, you know, what is the difference between, an, you know, these different operating systems. And people generally don't think about an operating system. And uh, yeah, that's right. So uh, uh, yeah, it's just very interesting. We, we also have run um, in our senior years. One of the options that students can choose is a vocational course in IT. That is like a, um, a say like a technical college type course that we run at school. And uh, part of that, we we get the students to research, and then to, we run a, a high school wide debate on. Uh, Linux versus Apple versus Windows, without you know, and it goes different ways every time. But it's, uh, it's, I mean, that's so that's the environment. We're not actually saying you can't do this, you can't do that. We're just showing that there's an extremely creative community solution to most computer needs. That, that we feel that that's really good education, you know, even without the cost benefits. Um, yeah, so I, th- I think you know there are lots of dimensions as to how you can actually employ it. Also, I might add that we're in a, as a uh, Waldorf school or a Steiner school, we're very interested in the like embodiment of technology, for want of a better word, that really, as much as you can today, know a little bit about how it all works, you should. Because then if you don't, it becomes a magic experience, which is not... Magic is wonderful in fairy tales, but it's not very good when you deal with technology. It isn't magic. It's really something incredibly brilliant that people have made. And we want that experience to come through. So we... We would do things in the earlier high school where we actually, with the students with relays, would construct uh, a four-bit adder, binary adder. You know, I see clunking relays, adding up binary numbers. And so, like, you're looking at the fundamental building blocks of, uh, of, of sort of a uh, arithmetic unit. So, uh, that's, so Linux fits in very well with that philosophy, too, that it's a little bit closer to the machine when you want to be. Well, you're, you're certainly giving... Um 
a really good argument in favor of using all these things. But let me play the pessimist for a second. Let, let's say I'm the, yeah, sure, the one yeah. person listening right now that's saying, oh, I don't believe this stuff. Um, first of all, I think lots of times people have the misconception um, of open source that because it's free, it can't be any good. And that's kind of the misconception people have about free things, right? Like when you see something uh, on the side of the road and it says, take me, there's a sign on it, you know that it's not a good thing to have because something must be wrong with it. So how? Uh, I guess what I'm getting to is how, how do you get around those things? If you were going to try to persuade another school or, or someone else to kind of take the same initiative that you have, how would you, what advantages um, that we haven't already talked about, obviously money's a big thing and, and the ethical piece too, but how, how would you prove that those advantages um, outweigh the, the limitations? Because there are limitations that come with, with these kinds of things, right? Like I, I know Linux in particular, um, there's known problems with it interacting on certain um, hardware, has a hard time with, with wireless and, and video and that kind of thing. How do you prove that it's, uh, the the limitations uh, are still not as uh, significant as the advantages. Mm. Well, I think like the, the sorry the, the the idea of freedom, as you as you point out, is often um, and rightly so accounted in in the Linux discussions. Really, that it's about really freedom of speech rather than free beer, um, that that sort of comes across in in a lot of discussion. It, it, so it's more about fact. That this is, uh, from this point of view, that it's it's very good code, very robust code used by, you know, uh, military governments all around the world would prefer to have a system that they can see right through, rather than something that's totally opaque and have no idea what's hidden in the hidden in the binary code. So it it, it sort of there, one can one can uh, present a very good argument for the fact that the code is open and is knowable and is alterable. But that, that's sort of like a very technical and philosophical position. The reality is that often it is difficult to establish a network for reasons that you pointed out, that, that you can't always get the drivers, you can't always get things to work properly. But what we found is that the community worldwide is extremely supportive and we found a few people in our school, as I'm sure there are in nearly every school, who just love getting into that level of it and helping sort out the problem. So it's really it's like a resource issue on that level. On, in terms of there, there are bits of software that, that um, you know will be will be good to use educationally, and what we've done is uh, we basically the only thing that we really have struggled with overall. So every every software that we've really wanted to work with by now is working really well on our Linux network across all you know not just the Office suites but all the all the uh, bitmap and, uh, and vector graphic tools, every, all the stuff we do there, but with Digital film editing, which is something that we do at school, that, that has been a, a struggle. We're still working on it, uh, but we, we, we've been using Final Cut Pro from before I even started with the Linux, and, and that's we have a, a small lab with half a dozen machines, where, uh, Mac, Macs, where we actually do that. And that could change in the future if we get the facility working on Linux, but that's the sort of solution that schools have to do. You, you, you know, we, we, needed to do, we need to do that thing with the kids, so we have to find a way of doing it. Um, I think that's a great point to make is when we look at anything like this and, and your school is, uh, I guess a great, a great case study in uh, using Linux, uh, kind of, uh, almost across the board there. But, uh, that is a good point to make is, you know, you shouldn't marry yourself to 
anything, you know, any necessarily any one operating system. And so often here in the United States, at least, we hear uh, where schools will say, well, we're a Mac-based school or we're a Windows school. Um, and, and they just pretty much leave it at that. And they really kind of almost close-minded as we're going to only use this one tool. But, uh, Stuart, I think that's great that, you know, you're, you're trying to, uh, you know, jump into the uh, open source and using that across the board. But you know what? If it doesn't quite work in some situation, then you, you use something else. And uh, I think education across the board would benefit from that type of a mindset where, uh, you know, you use the tool that works in the situation. Yeah. Um, I, I was one other thing I wanted to mention in terms of the actual um, learning experiences. In, in modern, uh, the education sort of paradigm that we are in today, computers are meant to be basically absorbed into all all parts of key learning areas across English and math and science, which is exactly fine how they should be used. But um, we still believe that there is a place for that initial sort of induction where you, rather than what's meant to happen today is whoever's teaching, say, English will do the word processing and whoever's doing maths may do the spreadsheets or will do the spreadsheets or whatever. But we still feel there's a really important place for an induction of some sort where you do more than just... Uh, get the tools about working. You, you you have time to really reflect on what it is to be part of a network community and have all these things available. And then the teachers can come in and they can embellish on those skills, which is sort of how we've been doing it. And to do that basic induction, we found a really good um, program, which is run from the UK with, um, called the Ingots. You've probably heard of it, I'm sure. But we, we sort of have been running the Ingots for a number of years, which that Ingots stands for International Grades in Open Technologies. And it's uh, becoming quite a global uh, certificate. So the, so the high school, young high school students, the beginning high school students can get a, a certificate, an international certificate in open technology, which gives them a, like a foundation that we can then launch them off into all their other lessons with teachers um, with the skill sets that they have. So I think that's, a, you know, that's one thing. The other thing is that we've found as we've gone on that we've become a contributor. For example, um, there's a, there is a... Um, uh, a, manage, a, a, a computer lab management tool called ITALC, where you can you can visualize, you can get a visual um, of all the students' computers, and you can get them to demonstrate on a on a projected screen, or you can help them out and so on, like networking across the, the class. Um, and we could not get that working properly on our distribution of Linux, but eventually we did, and we sort of solved a few problems, and then we just post those problems out, and we've actually then provided through our technical expertise we've developed, a solution for other people to use uh, ITALC. Well, ITALC's very popular on Windows and other things, although it was originally open source developed. But that, often what happens is the open source um, um, configuration gets less support than the, than the more used the Windows and Apple versions. But anyway, we're, so we actually are contributing back, and we feel that's really great too. Kids know that they're contributing back. Yeah, I, I've always pictured... Uh, you know, in a perfect world where, because uh, school districts really could do this if you if you thought about it, is if you went Linux based and you had a budget, an operating budget for technology, you could actually afford to uh, really pay to scratch your own itch. So if you're using this particular open source software and you need some extra functionality out of it, and you've got, uh, you know, it's worth five thousand dollars to you, just to throw a number out there, you could pay the developer five thousand dollars, which would uh, just go back to uh, supporting the community. He develops uh, something to scratch your itch, uh, that functionality that you wanted, and then 
that additional functionality turns around and benefits the entire community. And if we had, uh, I can only imagine, you know, if the world of education was really behind this, uh, how much more robust open source uh, systems would be. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Stuart, uh, kind of winding down uh, on the uh, the interview here, I wanted to ask you, uh, so it's been, uh, well, nine years now, I guess. Uh, is there anything you would have changed looking back? You know, you've got a lot of hindsight now. Uh, would you have changed, you know, something that uh, in the way that you rolled it out in the beginning or anything that you've done along the way? Um, no, I, I think um, it, it, it's been, as it's rolled out, it's actually worked out really well. We started off. Uh, grappling with a whole lot of issues with very old equipment, we got to try a whole lot of different versions of Linux. We, we, um, yeah, we we did all that exploration, and then by the time we had the money available through the government to buy uh, upgrade all our hardware, we'd already fairly well settled on what we wanted to do. And then uh, we've just gradually ticked off projects, such as we had a we had a we had a, um, a proprietary version of a, of a, of a library management. Uh, in our library, but we're building a new library, and we've been, we've got together with some Koa people, and we're developing an open source, and we've finished it now. Actually, a web-based, um, you know, state-of-the-art library, online library system for our little school. And so, and then there's, there'll be another project ahead of that, and another project ahead of that. And I think that's the way to do it for us: is really just to take it one step at a time, and take everyone along as we go. I think that uh, it certainly helps that it sounds like you have a, a, a whole team that's really on board with this, and um, uh, that's big, and that can be hard to achieve sometimes. I think so. I'll just help one. If I've got a few seconds to finish oh, off. Oh, certainly, certainly. Uh, with, um, yeah. The, um, one of the things that's, that's worked really well for us, and it, this is really comes to the bottom line of finances of the school, that we don't actually have like a big team of IT people running this, the, we have two complete networks, one small, one large, with their own internet connections, and they're, like, they're basically separated by what you would say in, in a security system, an air gap. There's no connection between anything. Two, so we're running two networks, and uh, one of them with like up to, a, up to 100 machines on it, and we, have, we don't have a full-time IT person. There's basically myself as a strategist, and I monitor we have someone who comes in for one day a week to just keep an eye on things. And then I have a whole team of, well, I call them consultants, but they're basically parents and ex-parents and friends and people who I've met over the years through Linux. And I just call them whenever we have an issue. Like when you add together their, when they send us a bill, you add all those bills up, it's, it's, it's minuscule compared to a large sort of IT staff budget. And, yeah, I think in, in it's a commu- we've got basically a community of managers around myself as a coordinator and um, and amazing expertise that you probably wouldn't get in two full-time people or one and a half full-time people. And what a great way to, to run IT in a school as opposed to typically in, in the U.S. anyway, we have that one uh, IT administrator who kind of sits up in the watchtower and, and controls everything else and you, you really have taken uh, the whole ethos of of open source, the, the idea of being community-based, and you've really extended that out even to how you, you manage that open source. I think that's that's really cool. That's a great yeah. uh, a great thing to end on, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so, so uh, Stuart, normally this is the time when, when we let our, our guests go, and then Sean and I 
uh, flounder through giving out uh, teacher or tech <laughs> tips, and uh, <laughs> we're, we're not very good at staying up on that. Um, but you actually have some teacher tips for us, so I thought we can go right into that. Um, it looks like yeah. you have um, five good open source softwares, and, and actually I like a point that you listed in our show notes. You, uh, your your big tip is if Linux is seems to be too hard, do open source anyway, and I think that's a, a good way to, to lead into this. Um, if there's a teacher who's listening who, who either doesn't have the skill or um, just doesn't have the, the opportunity. I know if I went into my school tomorrow and wiped my all the, the Windows machines in my room and put Linux on it, I, I probably would have to talk to somebody about that. <laughs> um, but you, you, that's a good point. Even if you can't go to that extreme, ease your way into it. And there's a lot of open source uh, software that I think people don't even realize they're using. You know, Firefox is a good example. I mean, it's open source, but people just see it as a an established piece of software. But um, so go ahead. In your experience, uh, Stuart, tell me some of the other good open source software uh, applications that people could download for free and, and start using right away. Well, there, I mean, there, there is an enormous list, but uh, not all of it. Some works on Windows and Linux. Some works only on Linux. But the ones I've listed there, like the LibreOffice is the Office flavor at the moment because the OpenOffice has been struggling. And of course, for Mac, you have Neo Office, but they're all basically coming from through that Star Office stable that uh, sure. some microsystems used to manage. There's been a lot of selling and reselling. So at the moment, LibreOffice is really is the um, is the Office flavor that we're all really hooked into, and I, I think that's just such a really brilliant Office suite. So and it includes the database tool as well. So you've you've got a whole range of things like the general functionality on a network that you can use for all the lessons. And, and with um, and if you add to that uh, GIMP, uh, the GNU image manipulation system, and if you add so GIMP and uh, an Inkscape for vector graphics for doing, say, buttons for web pages and all the other things that are, you know, for very um, uh, uh, low low kilobyte graphics sort of work, um, then you've got a really great core of things you can work with the students. And there's also like at the at the easier end for younger kids like Tux Paint and Pencil and various other software that will work across other operating systems. I mean, you only have to search and you'll find tons of stuff. But the ones I've written down are the ones that we've used and work really, really well. And of course, we'll uh, we'll include links to all of that in our show notes and have that on the uh, on our webpage as well. So, uh, if you're listening, you can go over to uh, the website at elementop.com, and uh, we'll have links to everything that Stuart has shared with us. And Stuart, you also have uh, uh, I was looking at we have in our, sh- our show notes here, but there's actually a case study uh, that you've put together on your school and its experiences. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah, and that actually goes through. It's quite a long document, but it was it was designed for a purpose, <clears throat> basically to show the history of that, the evolution of it. But it really, it's it's got six months to add on to there, that, so it's always like changing. There'll be another one out in about a year. But it doesn't really include all the successes we've had with uh, with Zimbra with our collaboration suite, which we really like. It's an open source mail and a collaboration, and also the success we've had with Coa. Our, our library management system, which we absolutely love, it's just fantastic. So, um, yeah, there's a lot more to go in the case study, but it, it still is quite packed with stuff we've done. Awesome. Well, uh, Stuart, uh, we always give our guests an opportunity to kind of leave us with a thought. So, uh, as we wrap uh, wrap up the interview, do you uh, do you have one final thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with? 
Oh, I, 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 I'm a bit on the spot. I, I mean, I just think, I just think that, <laughs> I just think that as educators, we really should be at least indicating to our students about open source and about community software. Not, 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 not sledging or bagging out everything else, but just telling them about it. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's such an important part of their lives, and they don't even know that every time they go to any website on the internet. Their little packets are going through thousands of Linux servers all over the place. It's like a, yeah, it's, it's like the elephant in the room. It's really there that you're talking. All right. Well, uh, uh, thank you so much, Stuart, and uh, we really appreciate your time. And uh, uh, it's been a wonderful uh, pleasure having this uh, discussion with you. And uh, we will uh, look to follow up with you again, maybe, uh, maybe again in a year uh, when you've done so many more things. It's been a pleasure talking with you, and I wish you a wonderful day, and I, it's about time for me to go to bed. Uh, we're, we're just getting started here. <laughs> we're, we're getting up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Thank you so okay, much, Stuart, and we will talk Bye-bye. to you again soon. Thank you. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, that was uh, Mr. Stuart Rushton. Uh, Joining us from Sydney, Australia, and I'm I'm quickly uh, scrolling back through my show notes here to get his title: Education Administ- Administrator for uh, Let's see, Education Administrator, Learning Technology Strategist for Lorian Novalis School in Sydney, Australia. Uh, uh, wow, I mean, it it was neat, John, talking with him, and just I don't think as much as a Linux evangelist I am, I guess, or, you know, I, I like to, I love to see Linux in the, in the classroom and in education, but, uh, I haven't really walked the walk nearly as much as Stuart has. I mean, that was, uh, that was great stuff. Yeah. And the thing that most impressed me about what he said, um, was how he really didn't have any background on it. He took the cue from, from his students and that's why I purposely asked him, you know, did, did you understand Unix or did you have experience working in those environments? And he just said no. And uh, I think that that's pretty amazing that he'd be willing to um, take that step and and come so far. I mean, he seemed really well versed and he, he really seemed to understand um, how all that works. And I guess that just kind of shows that anybody could take that that leap as well. Yeah. You know, I, one thing I've always said and we've done it uh, here at our district even to, to some degree, and I did it in my classroom last year, is, you know, you don't necessarily, when you talk about uh, changing operating systems, you don't have to do it district-wide or campus-wide. I mean, you can certainly do it uh, in just a specific classroom or lab or even on a select few computers. So if you've got a lab of 20 computers, you know, make one or two of those Linux Um I think what you're going to find, and that's kind of what was surprising in my case, was I installed Linux on a couple of computers, and the next thing I know, I had students begging me to install it on their computer as well. Um, so uh, I even had one student wanting to load it on his computer at home. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, you know, that's really neat stuff, and it opens the student size, I think, to uh, just another side of technology out there that really they need to be aware of. Yeah, you know, and, you know, again, Linux is kind of uh, something that education doesn't usually uh, touch too heavy on, but it's really becoming more mainstream, especially as, uh, you know, budgets continue to, to shrink and, and people tend to expand more on, on what they're doing online. You know, I think back a couple weeks ago when I was in New York City, um, I don't know if I told you this, Sean, the, the biggest billboard in, in New York's time, in, uh, in Times Square was 
for advertising for people to develop uh, Linux applications. It was a, a Linux uh, billboard, and I thought that really just showed like how. Uh, much more socially acceptable it is and how much more socially viable it is. So it's good to have uh, exposure for students early on to that kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I think also, you know, the world's becoming a smaller place, right? And so I think in the United States, we tend to, we're, I mean, we're obviously very heavy on Microsoft and Apple and uh, as far as our operating systems go. And, uh, uh, but what we often can be sort of, uh, protected from i guess uh, for lack of a better word uh, or maybe we're kind of in a walled garden so to speak but that there's a lot of the world out there that uh, doesn't have that type of economy and they have to use uh, you know old hardware and you know they can't afford yeah. to pay the uh, the microsoft or apple tax and uh, but they still need a computer that works for them so there's a, a lot more uh, of that type of stuff going on elsewhere uh, but the fact of the matter is is again the globe is becoming smaller and uh you know a lot of people are going to be faced with you know they're going to be interacting with those people um that are on those operating systems and you know funny thing is uh you know and i i think he even said it in the in the interview or maybe it was even you john but you know uh, the operating system is becoming less and less relevant anyways so why go with the expensive one then if you know, if you can go for the free one, then yeah, I mean everything works. is is cloud based now, right? So uh, yeah, right. I won't go on and on and reiterate what uh, what Stuart said, but uh, yeah, just my my two cents at the end there. Yeah, so you want to move on to the the, the well? I don't know. Do we have tips of the week? He, he kind of covered a lot of really good teacher tips. Yeah, I thought Stuart did. Uh, so I think we we both get to beg off uh, this week. Um, it was interesting, you know. I, I'll I'll just say that I've used some of the ones that he uses, and uh, GIMP especially. Um, GIMP's especially one that I, I used in the classroom just last year, and uh, you know it's it's very robust, and at the same time, it's really not that difficult to learn. So, uh, and that's one that the students had a blast with. So I was showing them how to uh, how they could like cut off their head and then have themselves holding it in their hands and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. you know, weird uh, stuff like that that you know middle schoolers just love. You know, they thought that was the greatest thing in the world. So um, uh, I'm all for the all the free stuff that uh, that he's he put on there i there's a couple i didn't even uh, inkscape i'm just heard of i didn't even know that it was uh, all about vector graphics though so yeah i've i've looked at it a little bit but it's kind of outside of my my realm of of what i i'm capable of doing right now so i haven't had a chance to really teach myself it yet right right yeah i i guess you know some of these things that's it if you operated in that environment then that's probably what you would do you know you'd use those tools quite quite a bit more right. so all right well uh, i'm ready to wrap this thing up what about you john yeah, sounds. I could play us out if you want, Sean. Oh yeah, yeah. Let, we, <laughs> Pull out the uh, g- Give me a couple episodes. I'll I'll learn how to do that. <laughs> I, I, I tell you what, though, I am. I do want you to do something. But uh, let me uh, let me cut into uh, the many ways that people can contact us out there. Uh, and I don't know. Maybe uh, you, one. I'm going to say you got to go to the website and check out the forums because uh, that's where we need John. We need to get pictures of you and the accordions so we can get those get those posted. <laughs> 
posted in the. I'll put uh, some up. Yeah, we can get those posted in the forum. Uh, so you can right. find that at elementop.com. That's element like the periodic tables of, uh, table of elements and op like in op Taylor. So elementop.com. You can find out all about us and the uh, various shows on our network. Find our forum uh, and find other ways to contact us. You can email us at tightwadteacher at elementop.com. And those emails will come to both uh, me and John. Uh, or you can email us uh, directly, individually, at sean at elementop.com or john at elementop.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Go to the Element OP page on Twitter and you will find lists there. One of those lists will be Tightwad Teacher. And that will be the combined feed, uh, both from my personal feed and John's personal feed. Uh, Facebook, you can find us on facebook.com slash elementop and you can call us 530-FRUGAL, F-R-U-G-A-L-2, 530-FRUGAL, the number two, and uh, leave us a message. Uh, let us know which show you're leaving a message for, uh, so uh, we do appreciate that. And uh, we may very well use it on the air, so uh, if you don't want us to, uh, just say so, and we'll respect your wishes. Uh, there's also a widget on the website that pretty much does the same thing. You put in your phone number there, and Google Voice will actually call you, and then you get the opportunity to leave a message for us so uh you know if there's any other way that we could possibly think of uh, you know we need to put a button on there to throw a rock at us i guess yeah. <laughs> uh, we've yeah, tried, smoke signals or something right we've tried to cover it all so uh check it out and uh, become a part of, of our community and we'd love to have you uh, so, John, uh, you know, uh, a great show. Uh, I'm, I'm ready to uh, get the rest of my day started. But before, you know, what would start my day off more perfectly than uh, some brisk accordion music? Some more. So we, I'll, I'll play some uh, <laughs> some background signing off music. How's that sound? <laughs> that sounds like a plan. Yeah, give us five or ten this seconds sounds, there, John. And this well, actually sounds this sounds really daunting, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like the funeral. Maybe that maybe that's indicative of how my day is going to go. <laughs> <I don't know>. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, for now, as John leads us out, this is uh, Sean signing off. And John signing off. <laughs>